this time on episode 312 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We discuss Cloak and Dagger Season 2, Episode 9, Blue Note, and Season 2, Episode 10, Level Up. I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting, part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Director SP. And I'm Agent Michelle. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Sunday, December 15, 2019, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast bus line wide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat and talk with us as we record. Michelle, happy National Cat Herders Day. Okay. Now, this is not actually hurting cats. This is like the metaphorical, I'm hurting cats at work or something like that. Oh, okay. I get it. I think a current good example would be Matt Mercer on Critical Role. While the cast is wonderful, they do go off the rails. And Lauren and I are are big fans of it. And we've commented about how sometimes Matt's job is not just to tell the story and do the rules of D&D, but it is to herd the cats that are the cast. So jobs that might also fit the description may include dog washer, maid of honor to a bridezilla, a basketball player for Bobby Knight, a kindergarten teacher. A personal assistant to the founder of the National Day Calendar, an airplane repo specialist, and a manicurist for Shadar Chilla, the world record holder for the world's longest nails. I think they were having some fun with this on nationaldaycalendar.com. I do too. I have to tell you, Michelle, I wasn't going to bring this up because it's kind of funny, but since it's just between you and me, it is also National Cupcake Day. It is? It is one of the, I don't know how many, like gazillion National Cupcake Days. Yes. Yay, it's a cupcake day. Every day should be a cupcake day. Did you have a breakfast cupcake this morning? No. Uh, I didn't either, but I did have breakfast cupcakes this last week. That's good. I've been ill, so I've been having oatmeal, which is not a cupcake. No. I should be eating oatmeal. In fact, I thought about eating oatmeal yesterday and I didn't, but there was a good reason for it. Anyway, yes, National Cat Herder Days. By the way, this was founded, in case you didn't think this was real, it was founded by Thomas and Ruth Roy from WellCat.com. Well, thank you, Thomas and Ruth. And also, I think we can also admit, SP, sometimes you, you have to herd cats in a way. No, not a podcaster hurting cats. Never. Never. <laughs> it's all right. Anyway, let's get on with the rest of the show before we lose our two listeners that we have left. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the ABC television show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
The multiple Marvel small screen series, which that list is getting shorter and shorter, but it does include Cloak and Dagger, which will be covering today, and the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes in general. Because of the multiple uses for nail guns. If you'd like to talk to us about using a nail gun to defend yourself against extra world beings, you can contact us through our website at legendsofshield.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can contact the ladies to talk about the use of nail guns on our Facebook page, which you can find at Legends of Shield Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can contact us on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash gonna geek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of Shield skill. And you can join our Discord server to chat with us about the multiple uses of nail guns at guineageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the guineageek.com network. First of all, I have to say thank you very much for your heroic efforts tonight, Michelle, in joining the podcast. You are getting over a nasty fall, I guess now winter cold. And thank you very much for joining the cast on this finale episode for Cloak and Dagger. It's been going around like there's people at work who's been ill and then it's like going around. I think the network or something like some of us are. So I'm just glad I'm able to come and join you today. And then we have to say that Agent Lauren is not with us tonight. She wanted to be here. Matter of fact, she tried to sit in her chair, but she has injured herself. And I won't say how, because that's her story to tell, but she has injured herself and cannot sit for the podcast. And then Agent Haley, as discussed last week, decided not to join us tonight because she's too sore because she ran too far too fast. Exercise? Yeah, I believe it was a 5K. So she was trying to get her time under 40 minutes. I will let her describe her time when she gets back on our next episode. So with that, it is just Michelle and I. We are talking about the finale to Cloak and Dagger, and we're going to get to it right now. Cloak and Dagger, episode 9 and 10 of season 2, aired on Freeform May 23rd and May 30th, 2019. Since it is December 15th, 2019, we have made it in the same calendar year of airing, Michelle. That is amazing. It is definitely amazing. Unfortunately, we won't be able to do it for Runaways, but that's just because it dropped two days ago. Yes, and then there's the holidays, but we'll technically be current because people are still watching Runaways and we'll be talking about it. It's very close. Neither Michelle nor I have watched any of Runaways. I just want to make that clear as we record this. However, we do know that there is a Cloak and Dagger crossover at some point during the runway so we will be talking about our favorite tandy and tyrone one last time when we go over runaways season three but to get back to these episodes blue note was the first episode that aired the penultimate episode of cloak and dagger it was directed by amy Kanan man who has 21 directing credits starting in 2001 including one episode of friday night lights one episode of the blacklist one episode of Chicago Med, one episode of Sneaky Pete, one episode of Power, one episode of The Runaway, so a little crossover there, 
one episode of Deadly Class, two episodes of Cloak and Dagger, and one episode of Looking for Alaska. It was written by a team of Alexandra Kenyon with one episode of Cloak and Dagger and Peter Calloway, who has seven writing credits starting in 2019, including four episodes of Brothers and Sisters, two episodes of Hellcats, six episodes of Under the Dome, Stephen Jondrew, who is the founder of the Gunna Geek Network, that is his favorite show ever, two episodes of Legion, one episode of American God, and five episodes of Cloak and Dagger. Now, Michelle, why don't you take everybody down the creative team for Level Up? Level Up was directed by Philip John, has 35 directing credits starting in 1987, including two Murphy's Law, two Synchronicity, two Ashes to Ashes, 11 episodes of Being Human, six Downton Abbey, four Outlander, one Iron Fist, and one Cloak and Dagger. It was written by Joe Podaski, who has eight writing credits starting in 2006, including eight heroes, two Daredevil, 16 Underground, and seven Cloak and Dagger. And Joe Pukaski was the showrunner for Cloak and Dagger all the way both seasons. And Cloak and Dagger was based on the Marvel comics by Bill Mantlo and Ed Hannigan. We're talking about Blue Note here and Level Up, and we often equate the titles of the shows towards the themes of the episodes. With Blue Note, Michelle, I think it has something to do with writing notes on a chalkboard with blue chalk, right? You try to pull a Haley. I'm I'm going to give you a B minus for that. That that gives a valiant effort, but. Blue Note is an actual musical term, and Andre is wanting to hit this actual Blue Note. He wanted to do it in his career. Seems like he did when we learn in his backstory, and it's key to his evolution, which is the other episode, Level Up, which is everybody gets to level up. I love it. I love it when you play a game and you get to level up. Not only in like video games, but in D&D or whatever, in when your GM tells you you got a new level and it's like, yay. I kind of figured level up was literally like pushing up the gain on the mixer. I thought that's, you know, you're leveling the gain up. That's what I thought it was. That one's not as good. You tried. They were both audio related. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you tried. You tried. We did have the two episodes, Blue Note and Level Up, and uh, honestly, I've been playing trumpet for most of my life, and I've never heard of a Blue Note, and I I realize it might not just be horn-based, but I guess Blue Note is just a special note that you're hitting at some point. It's, it has something to do with, it's like a pitch thing, it's like a jazz, I looked it up and I didn't put the thing in, it's sort of like a jazz blues sort of deal and you're hitting a certain pitch that people aren't expecting it's just it's like when you have an opera singer who's a soprano right who hits that high c and they can hit it in a way that makes glass shatter it's sort of like that in a way that mythical note that people strive for i mean it's not mythical it exists but it's just that pinnacle Okay, well, I'll have to pay attention to Blue Notes a little bit better. And honestly, uh, this is a failing of my, not extensive, but long time, 
playing. Now, I haven't played trumpet in quite a few years, but I have played in the past, so I was kind of surprised that I didn't know about this. So anyway, that's what the blue note is, and he definitely hit Andre. He's a horn player, and he definitely hit a blue note. You're right. It is specific to jazz from what I saw in a quick search, so way to go, Michelle. So let's talk about these two episodes. I'm going to talk about them together. That's how we watched them, and I think they fit nicely together, although they are two separate episodes. The penultimate episode just kind of led up to the finale episode because you had the final battle between Tyrone and Tandy trying to get to Andre, and they did get to him at the end, but it was too late. He had already ascended to his godlike status, which is what he wanted. And then the final episode was their, you know, the final boss fight, and they're moving on with uh, their lives, I guess. We'll talk about that later. One thing that I said last episode that I was wrong about was Leah was not killed. To me, she was dumped at the side of the road. She was bleeding all over the place. I kind of figured she was left for dead, but I guess not. He just pushed her out of the car because he wanted her gone. Which is being left for dead. I mean, technically, if she wasn't found, she would have died either from bleeding out or from exposure or just being hit by somebody else because, you know, she's on the side of the road. Yeah, it does happen. Yeah. Okay, well, I just wanted to point out that I was wrong and I assumed she was dead. She was not dead. So that was just an assumption on my part. But she was drained quite heavily from Andre or despair. I mean, we're just going to call him Andre. We never really had that talk. I know you had it in the show notes for last time, the difference between Andre and despair. We just kept on calling him Andre, but you had a question of this, if this version of despair was really like the comic version of despair. I was wondering if this is the writers trying to fit the comic book version of despair into the television episode, because the comic book version of despair is, a bit more like cosmic and demonic because the comic book origin of cloak and dagger is different than the tv one so i'm wondering if andre is just like a loose interpretation of the comic book version of despair that's what i'm thinking and then it turns out that for lack of a better term i'm just going to call these people metahumans it seems like the flash the origins of the flash and all the metahumans over there on the cw network and Michelle, you and I, we cover the Arrow television on the Starling Tribune, but it seems a lot like the rig explosion affected a lot of people kind of the same way with some supernatural ability. As long as they were touching the same lake, I guess, is really where their powers came out. And I just have that reference point, so I'm just going to run with it in my headcanon, not necessarily everybody else's headcanon. Okay, that's uh, actually... Let's talk about Andre's backstory. So he was a struggling jazz artist, I guess, in New Orleans, which I got to think that there's a lot of musicians in places like Memphis or New Orleans or Nashville or something like that, that just want to be found. And he just seemed like one of those guys that wanted to be found. Yeah, it seems as though his career was on that cusp. His bandmate said it was a very important night. And he didn't really want Andre to go for that note. He wanted a really good, solid set. Don't know when they were going to be asked back to this club. It's almost like 
you know, when you work up in gigs and you get bigger venues and, and there, there is a, a moment sometimes in a lot of musicians where they get that nice venue where the right people attend, like maybe the record executives or, or such. And it seems as though that night was important because it's like he hit the note, then he collapsed, but he ended up having all those migraines and with the migraines, he couldn't perform. And then we see him, you know, lose it all. It was almost heartbreaking if we hadn't had everything that happened afterwards in there because we know kind of what a bad guy he is. But it was almost heartbreaking watching him actually hit that blue note and then just gaining the migraines from hitting the blue note. I mean, just resonated in his brain wrong, I guess, at that time. And he was suffering from the migraines for a few months. And he even left his horn, just left it out in the middle of this courtyard, which is a bunch of abandoned buildings. So he knew he was never going to go back to playing the horn again. And he was ready and set to end it all and ended up falling off a building into the lake. Basically, when the rig explodes, thus exposing him to the same thing that Tandy and Tyrone were exposed to, and then creating his connection with the land of the Loa and his ability to. I don't know if it was met specifically for him or if this had been around for a while, but created his ability to shake hands with somebody, to touch somebody, and then to be able to create their backstory of records in the record store. And he was able to feed off of that. Yes. It's one thing to touch someone and feel their fear and, or their hope and take it. But he knowingly, he's an adult. And he, one of the things that he kept comparing himself to was Tandy. And he was like, you know, Tandy, I know last year you kept feeding off of people's hopes. You you started to use your power for um, yourself, for gain. But let's compare this. Tandy and Tyrone are teenagers. Andre is a full-grown adult. He's had more life experience. He actually knows more about impulse control more about what's right and wrong because he's actually lived through life and he's had to live through all of these decisions and for him to go and equate himself it's like well you did this tandy you know what it's like like yeah but man you're the adult you should know better he definitely should. By the way, the actor that played Andre was Brooklyn McClain. I don't think we've mentioned that before. I think he did a fantastic job. And if it really was him playing the trumpet, by the way, I have no idea if he did or didn't. I didn't look it up. It did a good job with that as well. Pretty good horn player. But he played the innocent counselor well. He played the argumentative adversary very well, where he was throwing those arguments back and forth with Ty and Tandy and he was a master manipulator when it came down to it. I mean, you get to see the first time that he's manipulating Leah and he's manipulating her to quit being a doctor and then to go into service for him. She ends up being a victim just as much as he is. And she ends up in jail at the end of this. And I don't really have too much of a problem there, but she was victimized by him. And was there a point in any time that you saw in this series with Leah that she really had an out 
of this? You know, one of the things that seemed to be a, a theme this season was leaving abuse. Leah was basically, there's a term called gaslighting where you, you know the truth, but people keep telling you something else. And eventually you just sort of like, you're exposed to it so much and it's given to you in a way that it does actually work. And he actually starts talking to her after he feeds on her. Let's just, let's just say it that way. He feeds on her. She's in a weird state of mind. She's not completely herself. And then he does, he manipulates her. And, you know, we, we've talked about Tandy having that whole, you just leave. Can you just leave? Where would Leah go? And I think that's one of the things that, you know, especially like with Michaela, where would Michaela have gone? Tandy brings up her mother. Where would have Melissa have gone? Lauren, I know Lauren and I have talked about this before in previous episodes. When it comes to leaving abusers, it takes, I think, statistically anywhere from five to seven times. I think it's seven. It's that whole, where do you go? You have to set yourself up again. There's the fear of the person coming after you. It's very difficult to just leave. And it is one of those things where it's Andre's idea to set up the counseling. It's Andre's idea to target the counseling toward those young girls. And we really find out that he is the conductor of all of this. We do. And he's ultimately responsible for everything going on. And you were right. You know, he's the adult. He should have known better, but he just wanted to feed on it and then take over the city and possibly. Andy, I believe, mentions at one point in time, take over the entire world, which I could see if he was allowed to continue. I could see that. And I don't know if there would be anybody in the world other than maybe Wanda that could come in and do anything with this. Maybe Dr. Strange. I don't know. But if they don't know where this threat is coming from, it might take them a while to get there. Let's backtrack a little bit with Adina. Dina Johnson, Tyrone's mother. I had my doubts after seeing the episode last time and recording on it. I didn't express my doubts last week, but I had my doubts that she actually pulled the trigger and killed Connors. After these two episodes, it's pretty obvious that she killed Connors. She put at least one, if not two bullets in his chest. And there was a request to Mayhem to deal with the body later. Adina killed Connors. I feel like there's more to that story. I feel like that story wasn't completely wrapped up with a nice little bow on it. I feel like Adina's got to live with this for the rest of her life. I know in her mind, she's justified it that she was looking out for Tyrone and getting justice for Billy, but I still feel like I was cheated out of a little bit of backstory there. Last time we see hers with Delgado and then we see the news blurb of the senator being arrested, Connors being hung up. It looks like some sort of suicide, but everybody knows it's not going to be one. But because the senator was arrested, they're probably just going to try to cover it up because. And then we see his parents on the couch, like everything's OK. Yeah, Otis and Adina just sitting there watching the news. Also, earlier on, you see Tyrone peeking in the window because Adina doesn't sound right when Tyrone calls her on the burner phone. 
and she is at the fireplace burning all of the newspapers that have blood on them, probably trying to clean up the mess that she left with Connors. And I don't feel like that was an end to it. Yes, she was burning the newspapers, but I think generally there's more to it than that when you kill somebody with in a TV with a quote unquote good person. I know. It's one of the things that I liked this season, but there are a few holes. Like, is Delgado still a priest? Did he give it up? I know we see him in the church. There are a lot of threads. I think they really thought they were going to get a season three. And perhaps that's something that that is a stone that was thrown. And yes, she seems fine now, but I think that was supposed to be a stone that was thrown in the in the lake and the ripples were supposed to be felt next season. Yeah. Father Delgado obviously went through with the packet, giving the packet to somebody. He was last seen in the church. I did notice without his collar still, that's kind of symbolic on TV and it's kind of symbolic in reality. No, a priest doesn't have the white collar on all the time. I mean, they do go to bed and they don't wear the collar on when they're in the bed in the shower, that sort of thing. So the collar does come off, but he was up around cleaning up the church that both Tandy and Tyrone had lived in before. And I wasn't sure if he was going to start bunking up there or if he was going to clean it up to create his own congregation servicing to the people that were disadvantaged and messed up like he was, like Tandy was, like hiding out like Tyrone was. That's kind of the feeling I got, but he still didn't have the collar on. So to me, there is a loose thread there that wasn't tied up but i guess it was tied up enough for me with father delgado that i would be okay with his story ending like that because he wasn't a halfway house i wouldn't expect him to pick up the collar again i mean the church would obviously have some issues with that meaning the catholic church with all the problems that they've had in the past i can't see them reinstating a priest that's been through that without some extensive i don't know therapy or sessions or something like that so i don't know I'm fine with that. So you got Adina Otis other than running in with uh, Adina when he was, when Connors was being interrogated, he really didn't have too much to do the last few episodes. Actually this whole season, Otis wasn't a primary character because he was basically thrown out of the house from the beginning or he left the house. He was living with Choo Choo with the, I believe it was red, hawks or red wings or something like that and chuchu was the the guy in charge of all that so otis was living with him and at the end he's there with adina so i guess they're back together so i'm okay with his story there other than he's now has to live with the fact that he knows adina killed connor's which is seen i think he's going to be fine with because maybe he would be like i probably would have done it too i don't blame him for everything that they've gone through it's hard to blame them here and Connors did want to recant, but he also wanted to make sure that the senator, his uncle, went down. Asia Johnson, I believe, was his name. So, so here's the question, though. If the senator got arrested, would Connors, if Connors was alive, he would have to testify, correct? It testify to what, though? Testify against the senator, his uncle. If he had a deal, you know, you can't 
incriminate yourself on the stand. So technically he'd have to plead the fifth or he'd have to assume that he was going to tell stuff that was going to incriminate himself. But that's what he seemed like he wanted to do. He had turned over the information which incriminated him. He wanted to turn himself into the cops. Yeah. Which means that he would have probably had to testify. Even the senator's people would want to probably bring him up. So would he have, his life still would have been in danger though, right? Oh, yeah. By the senator alone, his life would have been, or other cops or something like that. I didn't see any way of Connors coming out of this alive, and I think he was okay with that ultimately, although he did try to escape from Medina's house. True. So just another thread that we're not going to be able to really close up, and I don't think they're going to... So let's just assume with the crossover with Runaways that Tyrone and Tandy are not going to be able to tie up some of these loose ends with other characters, maybe with themselves. I don't see too many with themselves, but other characters, I just don't think it's going to happen. Right. We did, though, get a reference. It didn't tie anything up, but we got a reference. And you've been telling us this since day one of when we started Cloak and Dagger. We finally got our Luke Cage reference. Yes. Tyrone and I believe his name's Solomon. Solomon? Solomon, yeah. Yeah. And they're in the diner and there's that article about Luke Cage by Karen Page. You know, he's in the hoodie, bulletproof. We got that. I just, you know, I was just waiting for it. They actually talk about, and, and Tyrone actually uses it to get Solomon to help him saying that Luke Cage seemed to be the type of person that even if he wasn't bulletproof, he would still be out there doing his thing. Yeah. When you think about it, that there has been talks about bringing the Netflix series over to Disney plus. And we've talked about before in the show where it's mostly the same casting except for over with iron fist. And even then the iron fist universe could still be alive could still be there they're just going for a different version of the iron fist character at the very least so danny Rand could still exist we're just not going to see him on screen because of that and because of this mention then it is possible that cloak and dagger and runaways by extension that we're getting the runaways crossover they could still end up being alive in some manner in the disney plus universe now I doubt that's all going to happen because I just get this feeling that Kevin Feige does not want any of this out there other than the Defenders. And if he cancels the Defenders, because Defenders are still owned by Netflix. This is just in preparation for when the character rights go back to Marvel and Marvel Studios, not Marvel Television, Marvel Studios. And there is a possibility that we get some of these characters back or storylines back, but I just don't see, I think everybody's going to be moving on after this because they're actors. They got to look for work. They got to be employed. True. That's what hurts when stuff like this happens. When Marvel decides to get rid of its television division and put everything together. I just miss shows like this. And it's like, put everything on Hulu or bring them all to Disney plus and, it's just Cloak and Dagger deserved better. Now, if you want to take the Mandalorian in the Star Wars universe as an example, would you prefer to get a show like the Mandalorian or to have several shows like Ghost Rider, like 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like Runaways, like Cloak and Dagger? Or would you rather have the cinematic experience of a premium streaming service series? I think when done right, they're both good. Good answer. I like that. We'll see what happens in the future because they still have ABC. So while Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the only thing that's on ABC, there had been rumblings, and this was Jeff Loeb, there had been rumblings of replacing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with something, and it, they could still do that. They could have that interaction with the MCU Phase 3, Phase 4 over on ABC, and then just build from there. So it's possible, but more than likely, it's all just going to be on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, they were saying that before Disney+, Plus, and I think they knew Disney Plus was going to be successful. I don't think they anticipated it was going to be this successful and that Baby Yoda was going to be this popular. Yeah, because all the Star Wars series up to date, I mean, take a look at the live action TV today, you know, the Ewoks stuff and the Life Day stuff. It was a joke, really. The live action Star Wars stuff turned out to be a joke to many, many fans. You had more of it in the anime stuff. You had the Clone Wars. You had Rebels. You had, uh, Re- I keep on forgetting, Rebellion. Rebels and then Resistance. Resistance. Right. It's Resistance. Resistance, uh, out of the three, Rebels is definitely my favorite, having not seen the Clone Wars. I've heard that Clone Wars is pretty good. And Rebels is definitely better than Resistance. Resistance is more of a times piece than anything else. And we got to see BB-8 on the screen on the anime that was about it all right let's move on from that let's get back on cloak and dagger you have a couple of characters that are in interesting spots you have mayhem who is back and kind of back and forth on where she stands with the divine pair and ultimately she came in handy and she was backing up evita in the church trying to keep that candle lit so tyrone and tandy could stay there and fight the big boss battle I thought of anything that was really well done in the storyline. You thought she might have been gone or anything. She comes out of nowhere and saves Evita. That was really well done. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of the episodes. And Evita, I am going to miss Evita so much. I know at the end, Tyrone and Tandy leave New Orleans, but. It doesn't mean in season three they could have come back or there could have been Evita some way. Out of all the characters, besides our main ones, Evita is the one that, man, I just, I'm going to miss her. Out of all the storylines, out of all the loose ends or whatever, she is the one that I have most of an issue with because she just turned, of course, she's married to the Baron, Baron Samadhi. And she just turns and leaves without saying anything. It wasn't like they weren't talking beforehand because they were talking and she brought the nail gun and everything. But she leaves without saying anything to anybody, including Ty. I just thought that was just such a bad way to end it. And yes, relationships end like that in real life, but it was such a bad way to end it. I wish we would have gotten a little bit more closure there between Evita and Tyrone before the final scene, basically, which tells you that we're never going to see Evita again. Tyra really didn't treat Evita very well this season. He didn't talk to her for eight months. So she had no idea where he was for eight months. And then when Tandy and Tyrone go to her, they're having this conversation 
like she's not even could be even listening and he feels all like jilted or something and it's like you know Evita's been really there for you and you haven't really treated her all that well so Evita just kind of giving him a look and leaving I really understood considering how he treated her the entire season that's fair enough and I have a question. Where did Papa Legba go? Do you have any idea? I didn't understand why Papa Legba was not there at the crossroads. It seems as though Andre, there is a line, and I heard it again. He was given the powers of a god without any consequence. And it is as though he got to blow up the lower dimension or reshape it in his way. Because he was actually taking people from the material plane, from the real life. And when they heard their song, they basically just popped into that dimension. He was a God who decided to take over. He had no compassion. He just wanted to do his own thing. I think that's what that was supposed to stress. Because we didn't see Papa Legbe Bay when they went to the gas station. Because Tandy had to actually form of Vive in order to get them to the mall. I think that's what they were trying to stress how powerful Andre had become and how difficult their final battle was supposed to be. That was pretty cool. So they're at the crossroads and Papa Legbe isn't there. Fuchs isn't there. You know, none of the people that Papa Legbe was playing were there. And the vision thing, the, I forget what it's called, the thing that you look into, the little telescope or binoculars or whatever, that you see at a lot of tourist sightseeing places is gone. And they end up taking the coins that were a part of that, making the vive, and then talking about the daggers and full of hope and everything. So that was a pretty cool way to end it. So Joe, you did a great job writing that whole thing in because that really tied up the essence of the powers that Tandy was giving and the hope that needed to be involved, especially because of the major mind frack that she had to go through this past season with Andre. You had the final fights, by the way, that Andre forced them through. So they finally get to Andre, Tandy and Tyrone finally get to Andre, and he just sends them via music to these rooms, basically where they're fighting themselves, their own minds. Tyrone is fighting the best version of him or the perceived best version of him that we've seen in alternative universes or alternative scenes before with the Viking Town Sound Records. And then with Tandy, you've got her going through all of the physical abuse with her father, although I don't think she was ever physically abused. We didn't see that. Not that it didn't happen, but we didn't see it. But the, you know, the knowing that her father was somebody that physically abused her mom. And then I thought this was really fracked up when she was in the Viking motel in her room, you know basically waiting for her trick to show up in comes Nathan Bowen, her dad. I just, ah, that was just fracked up right there. Completely. And I liked how they first had to, like they were fighting their own minds and they weren't doing very well. Then they found each other and they thought they could outsmart Andre by switching partners. And they kind of did for a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, they were actually giving each other a pep talk while they were fighting the alternate selves. 
So when Andre said, no, that's cheating, you have to face your own fears. It was like those little pep talks that they gave each other finally clicked and they were able to face their own fears. And Tandy was able to make the hope sword, which was cool. That was cool. So Tandy did two phenomenal things in here. First of all, she made that hope sword. So before it was just daggers or whatever. And they went through the whole explanation of the daggers, why daggers were more powerful ultimately. And then all of a sudden, whoop, you got the whole light sword, the lightsaber, the, you know, the big long thing that she was holding Nathan back on. I just thought that was great. And then, and then to cap everything off, I did not see where Tandy went in that final battle moment. I honestly, I didn't see it. I'm just all of a sudden she's off screen. And it was just Tyrone facing Andre and out from the cloak, basically the cloak part of Tyrone comes a leaping Tandy with the sword to just shove it in Andre. What a fitting end to this whole thing. That is leveling up. If anything was level up, that was level up. And how before she actually threw hope shards in her mom, Ina and Michaela, And that gave them the ability to like snap out of it and come and help hold Andre down. I'm wondering if they will recognize where they were. Like when they actually got out of it, do they understand that they were in the land of Loa? Will they remember what Tandy did for them? That's a conversation. Like we didn't get a conversation between Tandy and her mom. Yep. I understood why Tyrone didn't have that final moments with his parents because Of course, it would have been nice to have gotten because it seems as though he was cleared, but he wasn't 100% cleared. So I can maybe see why he didn't have a face-to-face with his parents because maybe he would have still been arrested. Who knows? But to not get a moment between Tandy and her mom, considering the themes of this season, and one of the things she kept being angry at her mom about was, why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you just leave? You just leave. It would have just been a nice moment to have and to show like what Tandy has learned and be able to have this nice sort of good conversation to make sure her mom's not going to backslide or fall off the wagon again or, hey, this is how you can contact me. Especially because her support system was just degraded because it was all based on Andre and Leah. Yeah. I just feel there's more. In a few places. And Melissa Bowen was one of the places where I wish we would have gotten more on at the end. And maybe they filmed more, but they just couldn't show it. Like they cut it for time or cut it for story and they thought they were going to get more time. They could explore it later. Like they knew they were going to have a crossover. So they ended the series with or the season with Tyrone and Tandy leaving town, going somewhere else. Obviously, they're going to show up on the West Coast where the runaways are. And they even referenced, you know, girls being found on the beach or whatever. So you're like, okay, they're headed out there. I can see this happening. But they just weren't given a chance to wrap up those storylines. And I think Joe Pukaski, who's the showrunner and writer of many of these episodes, I think if given the heads up that this is going to be it, he wouldn't have left those. He would have taken the time with this episode, with the final episode, with Level Up, and he would have had those short conversations those minute minute and a half conversations between characters to wrap up some of these things and i'm not going to throw blame at him at all not really going to throw blame at at marvel television either jeff Loeb 
because I don't think at that time they had a clue. I thought that they were going to do fine. They were on ABC Family. It was a broadcast show. There was no indication that they were going to get canceled. So I just think that there's a few things. It doesn't make the series bad or the season bad, but I just wish they would have wrapped things up a little bit. Yeah, it's like Melissa, Mina, and Evita. Those are really, to me, like the three characters who were treated poorly and I wish got treated better. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Mina. She's just in the lab playing with her mice. And she did say she wished she wouldn't have devoted her time, her life, to focus on this energy because none of it would have happened before. Because Mayhem goes to her because Mayhem's trying to figure it out if everything's okay because she's not feeling 100% on herself. She's having this conversation with Mina. How You seem like you've got it together. How do you do it? And Mina tells her a few things and then she disappears thanks to Andre. So Mayhem doesn't really get the whole thing. It's kind of funny. Tyrone and Tandy were like, what do we call her now? Bridget? Like, yeah, yeah, Bridget's just fine. We know it's Mayhem. We know it's both, but we know that Mayhem's in the driver's seat right now. So that's what we're going to do. Plus the poison fingernails. True. All right. How do you think of the season in the series now that we have watched everything for the podcast and you've watched everything twice? How do you feel about it? I can tell with the first season, they were like, we need to make sure we tell a complete story. We might not get a second season. The second season, it was like, okay, we got an interesting story, but we think we're going to get a third season. So let's leave these breadcrumbs because we're probably going to get a third season. You didn't get a third season. And I thought it explored some interesting themes and such, but I don't think it stuck the landing. One of the things about the first season, yes, the first season started off slow and you were kind of confused about their powers. But I would say the last four episodes of the first season, it really stuck the landing. This season, I don't think it stuck the landing as well. I'll equate it to another series that I podcasted on, which was Defiance. It was a sci-fi show. They had three seasons. We didn't know at the third season when it aired whether or not they were going to get a fourth season. I don't think sci-fi really knew. So in talking with the showrunner, it was obvious to us, because we interviewed the showrunner on Voices of Defiance, it was obvious to us that the studio was stringing them along a little bit on how they utilize characters in that final season. So they shot several scenes differently with some of the characters. Linda Hamilton was one of the characters. Yes, that Linda Hamilton was one of the characters. And they were going to shoot her one way where literally they shot her and she died. But they took that off and they left it as a mystery. And they didn't want her to die on the series because that would be bad juju. You don't kill off Linda Hamilton. You just don't do that, apparently. Also, with the last episode, it was obvious that they wanted to do one thing originally leading to a fourth season, and then they were told to do something else. And then they crafted that last the ending scene, right? The ending five minutes of the entire series, the last episode. They crafted it so that it ended a lot better than it would have. Were there dangling threads? Yes, there were dangling threads, but at least they didn't do like an alpha season two where they thought for sure they were going to get a season three. They left a big cliffhanger and then boom, nothing. I think showrunners are getting a little bit better at 
running into the end of a season, not knowing if they're going to have another series or not. We do it here. We've done it here all along with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We literally have not known if there was going to be another season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. until this last season where they said, okay, we're going to give you two seasons, six and seven, and it's going to end that way. And I think the showrunners for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have done a reasonable job of ending the seasons. There was one season that ended the series better than the rest. It was season five, but it was a possibility. So I think it's just something that we're going to have to deal with from now on on whether or not these series actually get picked up. And I don't know the streaming part with Disney Plus, with Hulu streaming, with with Netflix, with Prime. I don't know how that all combines into it long term either, because there's another show that I've been watching and on Prime called Man in the High Castle on their second or third season. I think it was the second season. They went through four showrunners with a streaming service. Like, no wonder it's it looked so off. And it felt like there were four different stories because you had four different showrunners running it. At least with this, you had one showrunner for two years. Cloak and Dagger was Joe for both years. So Joe, I think you did a good job in getting to the end. I enjoyed watching the series and I hope you do well in the future. I hope you pick up another series. I do. Is this the best Marvel series ever? No. Is it in humans? No. (laughs) So I think you did pretty good at it. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed it. I did. One last question for you. Pancakes or waffles? Food-wise, <laughs> waffles. It was nice that they ended it with that between Tandy and Ty. Yeah, because that was like the first episode, first two. Yeah. And then it ended that way and such. But yeah, especially when I don't know what it is about those hotel waffle maker things that you like you put it in and then you like you flip it and it does for two minutes i don't know why those things make the best waffles it perplexes me so we've got one of those at home i do prefer the small okay so those are more belgian waffles where you got the big huge holes in them or or whatever i prefer the smaller one the smaller square ones the the thinner ones and i think they cook better overall and they don't flip but yeah, the bigger ones, the Belgian Whoppers, apparently they they cook better when you flip. I guess because heat rises? It's the only thing I got there. I don't know, but those hotel... I, I, I went to a convention last week, and, and my hotel actually had free breakfast, which was amazing, and it had those waffle things, and put that spray, put that in there, and then you take the thing, and then you flip it over, and they're so good. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Oh, gosh. Anyway, now I'm hungry. I know, and me too, so it's supper time. I just want to say uh, both Haley and Lauren wanted to say something about the series. So we'll get to it when we get to the runaways and definitely when we get to the crossover, that will probably be the time. If we have anything last to say about the series, we'll be saying it there, the crossover of runaways. Well, next time we'll be talking about runaways season three, episode one, smoke and mirrors season three, episode two, the great escape. These episodes just dropped two days ago. I've referenced that a couple of times. Neither Michelle nor I have watched these yet, although we will before we record next time. And I'm looking forward to seeing the third and final series of the runaways. Me too. So as we're looking at that right now, why don't we uh, get on the bus and get on out of here?
First of all, I want to say thank you for Michelle. I want to say thank you very much for not spoiling us on the podcast. You did a tremendous job knowing what you knew and still having decent conversations with us without spoiling. That was amazing. Thank you very much. I tried really hard to make sure I didn't want to ruin anything. I did want to make sure I I sort of clarified here and there to make sure your experience was like good. But it's tough. It is tough. I get it. And you did a great job with it. So I just want to say thank you. And I knew how tough that was. And thank you to our listeners. You were the ones that wanted us to go through Cloak and Dagger. And thank you very much for that. And we've had fun talking about it. Unfortunately, this is it. This is all we get. It's like Firefly, right? You get, what, 14 episodes of Firefly? You only get to watch it once and that's it. And the movie. Six seasons in a movie. Yay! So thank you very much to our (laughs) listeners for suggesting it and downloading the podcast. I hope you enjoy our final coverage of The Runaways. Yes, thank you to everyone who interacts with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for continuing to listen during this like drought between seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Fortunately, it's Marvel and they have produced a lot of stuff. So we still have stuff to cover. We do. In that hiatus to the next season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Until next time, I'm Director SP. And I'm Agent Michelle. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Did you get to watch any of The Expanse or Runaways or... Anything this weekend? No, I've only been like I I haven't done anything heavy. Like I I watched like the Dragon Prince on Netflix and some um this actual play D and D called Rivals of Waterdeep. Like nothing too heavy or emotional or anything like that. Because one of the things is like I I already seen these episodes of Cloak and Daggers. So I didn't have to like really pay pay attention to them. Because I already kind of knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah. Okay. I haven't had time to watch anything. So I haven't seen the latest episode of The Mandalorian. I haven't seen any of The Expanse. I haven't seen any of Runaways. I haven't seen any of The Vikings that has uh, been on TV. There's four episodes out there now. Because they did three in one night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Last week, we almost went without Haley hitting the button. Oh, really? After we went live, I'm like, uh, Haley, did you hit record? She's like, I did now. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, cool. So glad that worked out. Yeah. I know I look silly with my hat, but. Oh, no. Not at all. Matter of fact, I need to find my Santa hat. Cloak and Dagger. It was directed by Amy Kanan Mann, who has 21 directing credits starting in 2001, including one episode of Friday Night Lights, one episode of The Blacklist, 
one episode of Chicago Med, one episode of Sneaky Pete, one episode of Power, one episode of The Runaway, so a little crossover there, one episode of Deadliest Deadliest Catch, no, one episode of Deadly Class, two episodes of Cloak and Dagger, and one episode of Looking for Alaska. As this will be the final Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode in 2019, I just want to say thank you very much on behalf of the entire cast and crew of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thank you very much for making 2019 the best year ever for the podcast. Thank you very much for all your interaction that we have throughout the year on Discord, on Twitter, and voicemails and emails that you guys send. Thank you very much. We really appreciate you. And it is why we do the podcast is for the community that you guys bring to us. So keep those coming in. And we are looking forward to hitting the Runaway Season 3 in 2020 early and then continuing throughout the year with all the great new Marvel content that is out there, as well as revisiting some of the other series that we haven't yet gotten to from the past like legion season three and like the netflix series and maybe even now that disney plus is out some of the anime series that i've not seen just wanted to take a moment now and say thank you to you i hope that your holidays for 2019 are going well and that you're hitting the ground running for 2020 or whenever you happen to be listening to this We'll catch you guys soon. Bye. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2019.